Hey, everybody. Welcome to It's Rare for Sunday, October 11th, 2020. It's been a weird year, but uh, I've got two of the people that I'm glad I got to spend it with uh, right here with me for the show. And excited to introduce Jeff Bray, um, who I have a long history with. And Marianne, Marian, have you met Jeff before? I yeah. have only heard of, uh, have we met? Yeah, out at, uh, out at a soccer game or lacrosse game. Oh, when Phil was watching Porsche. Yep. Remember when the ball hit the glass and it broke the window? Oh, yeah. She loved that. <laughs> she I did. Thought that was the best thing ever. She did. She was All excited right. about that. I'm going to uh, go ahead and get our song going for a minute, and then uh, we'll come back and chat. Who's there? It's rare. Who's there? It's rare. Come fill your time. This pot's for all. From the finger lakes, join in the call. Learn something new about the Cuca Trail of State New York. Every episode of Tap. Who's there? It's rare. Who's there? It's rare. It's rare. Love that song. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's good. Top 20. So, man, Jeff, Jeff is a guy. Just have to introduce him a little bit more because he bears introduction. Okay. And I don't know how much he knows. Should I be nervous? Totally. You should be really nervous. Yes. I don't think I don't think you realize how much like the like some you've been there for a lot of the major stuff in my life. You handed me the brochure to go to grad school. You 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 know hired me on like almost twenty years ago the first sure. time. <laughs> first time as a young skinny yeah kid. a skinny little <laughs> you know whatever, and then you sent me off to grad school, and then. Uh, you called me and said, you got to come back. And you said no the first time. And I said no the first time. And then I said yes the second time. That's right. And you, you know, you encouraged me to get on the, the board for the Friends of the Outlet. And that's really taken off. Yeah, you, you've become part of that institution. And you, when I created this page, you and Marianne were the first people that noticed it. And I wasn't trying to actually put it out there yet. And I got a message from you that said, I just shared your page with a hundred people. <laughs> I think I was with you when you said that. <laughs> and I said, oh, shit. I guess we have to actually do something. <laughs> well, I think I was driving back from, I think Kansas with my son, Tyler in the car and your caricature came up on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> and I was in like Iowa or Illinois. That's like awesome. He's following me. But here we are in and the here end. We are. In the end. In the end. <laughs> should we <laughs> tell great. people about that? Or Not should, yet. is that still? No. Okay. I, I don't think so yet. Top secret. But it's coming. Just so everybody knows there's something coming. Because uh, what happens in the end stays in the end. I'm confused. That's okay. You won't be. You won't oh, okay. be. We'll show you the light. <laughs> okay. You'll come around to the end. Everybody does. 
All right. I'm excited yet nervous at the you same guys, time. I guess we're all, all three of us are kind of imports to Penyan too. True. Yeah. I was coming for two years. <laughs> I was two and done and it's been 29. And I'm still a transplant. Still a transplant. I think we're all transplants. Yeah. Once you're a transplant, you're always a transplant, but, but it's a pretty good place to be. Absolutely. Seems like you've gotten involved with a lot of things over the years. Yeah. I can't think of a better place to live. I mean, I get tired of winter, but I still can't think of a better place. Oh, winter is the worst. Just keep it in perspective. Think about what we have in the summer and it's, it's fine. I was just Great. talking. Paul, yeah. I was just talking to the New York State Canal Society and explaining how amazing our community and our volunteers are. And they're like, how do we get people to do that where we are? How can we get people to do that? And I think there's, I mean, there are a lot of things you can do to try, but it's just a great community. Yeah. And I think when you look, look back at the people in this community, the people I'm aware of have been volunteers and doing things locally for years. And that's the, you know, be it the late Corey and Don Stork or Norm Cook, Mickey yep. Orr. Yep. And then I look at the younger people like yourself and it, it crosses generations, but now we need to get that next younger group doing it. Yep. But I think it's really, that does make Penyan unique, especially in this day and age. Absolutely. So what was it like growing up in Kansas? You know, I grew up in a town half the size of Pinyan. So when I got to Pinyan and they had a movie theater, McDonald's and a pizza hut, <laughs> I'm like, we don't, at home we had to drive 30 miles for that, for any of that. And it was right here. I thought I'd move to the city. But uh, no, I mean, when I go home, I miss that climate a little bit. And I miss that um, kind of the, just the, the beauty of the Midwest where it's farm and ranch land. And you get up in the northeast part of the state where the Flint Hills are. And it, it's hard to beat that. But then you get here and it's hard to beat what we have. Yeah. It's but just it's different. But it's, it's just cool. different. But the people are similar. You know, my hometown, Sterling, Kansas, was all agriculturally based. Obviously, there weren't any vineyards, but it was all all uh, cash crop and, and uh, cattle. And I grew up, my father had gas stations and I grew up in a gas station, um, changing oil and fixing tires and pumping gas and washing windshields. So that's how I grew up. And you, all of my friends were either farmers or of some type or their parents owned a small business in town. So it's really not dissimilar to Pinyan and Yates County. And that's probably why we have loved it here and why we've stayed. Mm -hmm. Marion, have you ever seen um, an aerial view of like the Midwest, like Kansas? Have you ever seen an aerial view? Uh, no. So if you go on Google Maps, it's kind of a neat thing. Jeff okay. showed me a couple of years ago. If you go on Google Maps, okay. instead of it being, you know, instead of it being just kind of random or it being squares, which there are there are kind of squares. Um, but it's it's these giant circles and it's kind of they look like it looks like it's thinking or something, you know, it's like these circles and sometimes they're all fully green and sometimes it's 
like it's green at the lead edge and then it fades. What's what's going on with that? Why does that exist? Yeah, what is that? Those are irrigation circles. Uh-huh. And usually, you know, most most of the state of Kansas, which is made up of I think 105 counties, is mostly set up in square square miles. And so a section of land is 640 acres and and uh, that's a square mile. Hmm. And farmers will plant that and then they'll have irrigated quarters or irrigated sections within that. So yeah, when you do a Google map search of especially the Western half of the state, of the state, um, it looks like, uh, UFO circles out there, but it's all, you know, a lot of irrigated, irrigated farmland. And that's what those circles represent. So those are like quarter mile long. No, it depends. I mean, a lot of them are on 80 acres. Uh Um, could be 160 acres. And they pivot in the middle. They're a center pivot system, and they run on their own diesel engine. And they have a well, and they pump the water out, and that's what irrigates the crop. Those are kind of neat. Yeah, unique to that area. The topography here wouldn't really allow for it, right? Because the land is too too many hills. Um, so a little different where it's flat. Absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of neat to be able to. Are you looking it up, Marianne? Dude, I'm like looking at like, you know, the map of our country and I never really go in the middle of the country at all whatsoever. And I'm like, you are far from home, my friend. I see us in New York and then I see Kansas like right smack in the middle of the country. Yeah, it's about 1300 miles. Yeah, that's crazy, though. That's a lot of that's a lot of states in between. Did you ever have you ever visited Texas? A few times, yeah. <laughs> no, why, why? No, you go to Texas a lot. I've been there several times, yeah, for okay. a multitude of things. Going back here in about a month. Oh, okay, that sounds pretty sweet. So, can you? Is there? Okay, oh, go, go ahead. No, no, you go. You. I was just gonna say, where specifically have you gone? Have you gone to Austin? I've not been to Austin. Okay. Houston, Dallas, all around Dallas, Fort Worth metro area. Mm-hmm. Did you um, did you primarily. go to did you go to Houston with your dad? We did. That's a, that's a good story. What happened there? Well, we had gone to Dallas to Six Flags for vacation, and at that time, Six Flags was a relatively new thing. So we had driven to Dallas, and that was the same time the Houston Astrodome, which is no longer, um, had opened. And he heard that they gave tours and they had car races in there and football games and baseball games and whatever. So he called from the, from I'm sure the holiday Inn in Dallas, six flags, he called Houston and uh, Astrodome says, yep, we give tours at 10, two and four. He goes, okay, we'll be there. And so we drove, I don't know what is four hours driving 80 miles an hour, probably to Houston from Dallas. And we pulled up and the guy came out of the booth and said, what can we do for you? My dad said, we're here for the four o'clock tour. And he goes, I'm sorry, sir. We don't give tours on game days. <gasps> and my dad had some choice <laughs> words about whether or not he cared if the Astros ever won another ball game. And <laughs> we turned around and drove back to Dallas. Oh and, uh, no! So fast forward to early, probably 2004 or five, I was in Houston working an event and we parked outside the Astrodome. And so I asked a guy if I could go in 
And he said, sure, walk in. It was all deserted and pretty much decimated inside. When I walked around, I found home plate was still in the floor of the Astrodome. So I called my dad and said, hey, I'm just getting ready to complete our trip that we took to the Astrodome. He goes, what are you talking about? So I spit on home plate of the Astrodome and then <laughs> wish the Astros didn't win another ball game. And so he was, he was glad that I'd completed our journey. And uh, though it didn't end quite the way we thought it would. But anyway, that was our trip to the Astrodome. And that was probably about a 40-year spread in time. Wow, that's crazy. So, yeah. It's awesome. He talked about that. Every time somebody talked about Houston, he would bring up the Astrodome trip. So... I bet, I bet Phil's heard a lot of really good stories from you. And I'm sure Phil's has told you good, great stories about himself. Yeah, he's told a few about you too. So that's good. Uh, me? Sure. Oh, well, we don't have to go into any of those stories. <laughs> <laughs> we have adventures. <laughs> the adventures are good. <laughs> Little sad Jesse can't be here. I've heard a few about him too. Yeah, I didn't know that Jesse was going away this weekend. I didn't tell her because I didn't think she could be on the show. <laughs> so I thought, you know, it'll either just be a monologue or maybe I can get Jeff. <laughs> and thankfully you were able to come. That's right. But, and now we've got Marianne. All right. And we're not going to say where Jesse is. He's at an undisclosed location. Marianne is also at an undisclosed location. You probably can't recognize the background. No, not at all. <laughs> remember when we used to have to do this exclusively you know remotely uh, yeah vaguely other than we just no there was a couple times we did it at the bar i believe and then we did a couple times or once definitely at my place yeah it was once once we got jesse on that we started deciding we shouldn't be in a room together no we didn't want to be in the room together no <laughs> oh we should we should be we should be we should be. Well, yeah, it's a lot more but interesting. We, we stopped for a while. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that we've got the studio down here, though. Yeah, it's pretty fancy. I like the I like the digs you've got set up. Absolutely, it's pretty, pretty slick. Nice. So didn't so I was thinking the other day about man, you know, all the different stories, and um, I was thinking about last year. I was talking about, and I still someday might do this. I want to get an ultralight airplane. You, you had a story about like some friends bought an airplane. Yeah, my dad's friends out in Western, little town of Fowler, Kansas. Um, one guy in particular, Larry Duell, um, he uh, quite a race car driver in the Midwest, and um, they were in an auction and bought an airplane. But we didn't know that had happened. Uh, we had moved <clears throat> to the town of Sterling. Fowler's a little town about 40 miles southwest of Dodge City, Kansas, a town actually probably of four or 500 people. And um, my dad was home from work. We hear a knock at the back door, and it was Larry Duell and his sidekick. But there was no car or truck in the driveway. I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they said, is your dad home? I'm like, sure. So I go and get him. And dad comes out and says, well, where's your car? Here's all we... We flew in. We hitched a ride from the farmer that owns the airport because in my little old town at that time, there was a grass runway airport out in a guy's pasture. And um, 
Marvin Moore was the farmer and uh, he'd picked them up. My dad said, airplane? Where'd you get an airplane? He goes, well, we bought one at an auction yesterday and we decided we'd just fly it and see how, what it was like. Neither one of them had a pilot's license. Oh, what? At that time. <laughs> and, and Larry became the guy that ran the local airport has a crop dusting service. So he is an air, his pilot now, but at that time they were just experimenting, but they flew, I don't know, 200 miles took off and landed and everything was good. So, but if you're willing to drive a sprint car on a dirt track, you know, you can probably fly a little airplane. Ooh, on a dirt track. I don't know about that. Those dirt track races are pretty interesting. Yeah. Larry's legendary. And you know, locally, um, Lance Young, um, he's not driving anymore, but one heck of a guy behind his, behind the wheel of a sprint car, um, beat Tony Stewart a couple times when he was in, in the area to race. And, hmm. and so people like Lance and Larry, I mean, they just, they don't really make those guys don't make them like that anymore. Yeah. There's definitely a, a, it's an interesting thing that we talk about sometimes is that there's a different breed of people. You always had that story about the, uh, the guy from the rodeo that sutured his own hand with yarn. Purple yarn, yep. It's like, yeah, you have to be a certain kind of person to do that. Yeah, it's just a different mentality, you know. And I'm we're that's fading away. And maybe that's good. I don't know, but certainly it's faded away. Are they still do you think that the guys that are still doing that that they're like that, or you think they're well, I, I think a lot of them are. There's a young driver, Kyle Larson, who got caught up in some of the things in NASCAR and he's running dirt tracks now. And I just saw an article yesterday. He's won 40 out of 40 out of his last 80 races. Wow. And he's probably going to go, he'll be back in NASCAR sooner than later. But um, yeah, he guys like Tony Stewart, um, Kenny Schrader, who's retired from NASCAR. Those guys are, they're the throwbacks. They're not, they're not, you know, they're not wimpies. Yeah. They're like, uh, you know, if you're watching Talladega Nights, they're more the, uh, you know, Will Ferrell than the French probably, guy. Probably, probably. Yeah. A little more Ricky Bobby. Yeah. No Ricky Bobby? <laughs> they're a little Ricky bit Booby. more Ricky Booby. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting movie. You always used to teach about that in your class. Yeah, just from the marketing standpoint, because <clears throat> you know, everybody knows that Ricky Bobby drove the rainbow or the Wonder Bread car. The Wonder Bread. Wonder Bread. And that Wonder Bread was owned at that time, and maybe they still are, by Interstate Bakeries. And I think they were out of Kansas City, actually. And they were entering Chapter 11, Chapter 11 bankruptcy when the studio approached them about putting their logo in the movie to no, no charge to the company and the millions of dollars worth of advertising they received out of that movie. I think it was shortly thereafter they came out of Chapter 11 Bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. I don't know the status now, but that movie has such a cult following. And it's it's a great it's a great teaching tool actually for marketing. Mm -hmm. When uh, when you really learn how the movie was made and how they chose the sponsors in the in the movie and things, it's uh, it's it's quite interesting. Didn't you I don't know I don't know the whole history actually, but you worked in racing at some level, right? Yeah, I'm fortunate having grown up in a gas station in the Midwest. The two things I've probably always been most passionate about, passionate about was motorsports and rodeo. And to be able to combine my profession 
as an athletic trainer to work in NASCAR. I was in NASCAR from 93 to 98. And then we did Champ Car, which became IndyCar from 99 to I don't know, 2007 or 8. And then uh, in that mix, worked with the American Le Mans Series and some of the teams there with the Corvette factory team and Audi. And so the opportunity to do that and combine what you're passionate about as, a, as an athletic trainer with sports that you, you enjoy spending time with anyway. But uh, a lot of fun memories and a lot of good characters have come through that. A lot of unique situations that, that have arisen over the years. But uh, it, uh, I don't know. It's just I feel fortunate and blessed to have been able to combine those types of things. Yeah, it's pretty neat. You, you Every once in a while, you'll bring in something like uh, you've got that fireproof jumpsuit and you've got uh, you brought in a thing that goes in their helmet that helps remove their helmets. Yeah. Some devices that they're out on the market that uh, you could slide in the helmet, pump it up to help remove a helmet from an unconscious driver. Just some of those different tools and things. And I think it's interesting the things that are applicable across sports that you don't realize are until you see them at one level and realize you could apply that somewhere else. Yeah, it was interesting. When when you took me with you in January uh, to see the PBR event, right? Um, the culture is certainly a little bit different. Slightly. Than what we're used to. But, um, yeah, I felt like I could just jump in and roll. Like, there's no... Yeah, the injuries, you know, I just had a guy ask me the other day about why would they need athletic trainers in NASCAR and, you know, IndyCar or whatever, motorsports. And, you know, for every every driver, you've got 12 or 15 crew members and they're doing things that are not ergonomically correct. And they're lifting wheels and tires and they're throwing things around and they slip on an air hose when they're running with a jack around a car or something. Um, and then you have things in rodeo and bull riding that, a lot of soft tissue injuries, just like probably worse than most collision sports, but the injuries are similar, but things, how you treat them and how you maybe tape or brace somebody might be different for a given sport. But, you know, the motorsports guys and the rodeo guys are similar from the standpoint that they're all adrenaline junkies and, and they really just want to compete. So they don't, they don't do workman's comp. They don't know, take a day off. They just, they come in and say, do what you have to do so I can compete for work. And, you know, I, one of my favorite stories that came out of IndyCar racing was we had a crew member that came in one day and they said, I need you to make a splint for my finger so I can change tires this weekend. We're out, I think we're in Portland, Oregon. And he took his hand out of his jacket and he was missing his fourth and fifth fingers <laughs> What? because they'd been severed in a press at work earlier that week on Tuesday. No. And this was Friday morning. And he goes, I need to be able to change tires. And he was an engineer and, and crew guy. And we actually made some splints for him. And he never, he missed half a day of work after losing two fingers. Workman's comp had called and told his employer he's out for 12 weeks. And the guy said, I'll just defer my workman's comp. You know, they just, those guys, they just want, they're driven, no pun intended, but they just want to compete. They just want to work. They want to be successful. 
and they don't have substitutes. They don't have right. a backup pit crew guy for that weekend, you know. So, so it's it's enjoyable. It's a lot of fun to work with with people who just want to just want to go. Mm-hmm. Does each like racing team provide their own athletic trainer, or is it just like a, a few that are on standby? I guess you could Several say. Of them, a lot of the teams at this point employ them on a full-time basis. Um, when we were there, we had a mobile medical facility and we traveled and we provided services to all the, all the teams. Um, same when we were in champ car and IndyCar. but then American Le Mans series, we had a contract with individual teams. So we would take care of five or six teams on a weekend. Wow. So it was a little different, but, uh, I don't know, just, just unique, um, as to the things you experience and the things you see and certainly the places you go, um, to do that. You know, we worked at a uh, champ car, any car race over in Japan and realized that they don't use ice for any type of treatment. Where in the U.S., Western medicine, we use a lot of ice for acute injuries and they use none. And so it took a day and a half to get probably five pounds of ice. So we had some, something to use for treatments we were traditionally used to doing. So culturally different around the world with those types of things. Did that change your way of thinking when they don't use ice where you're like, oh, maybe this might be an interesting technique or was it like something like I'm not interested in doing this moving forward? It's hard over a weekend or a week in a foreign country to make that change. Right. Um, had I known but, beforehand. But since then, yeah, I mean, it does make you take pause and, and think about some other ways of doing things for sure. I never know when to ice or heat. Talk to Phil. I do. I whenever, whenever there's an like an, a problem with my sure. body, I do. I, I ask Phil a whole bunch of questions. No womanly questions because he doesn't know stuff like that. But like other questions, yes. <laughs> I don't know why you're like, giving me that look. I <laughs> gonna I'm gonna let that one slide. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know. Yeah. So I guess uh, with the ice thing, um, Jeff and I have slightly different philosophies on that, and that's okay. Uh, because I think we have slightly different philosophies on a lot of things, but when it comes back, you know, to the, the core principles, we're, we're pretty much, we line up pretty well. But, um, interestingly, when I was in Europe, same thing. Um, when I went to Austria and Sweden, Germany, if I needed ice, the co- I, at that point I'd already decided that ice was a little bit less important than what sometimes we talk about mm-hmm. it here now, but. Uh, the coach was like, yep, go find ice. And so I went and I said, do you have an ice machine? Um, no, we don't have a concession stand here. (laughs) Okay. So, so then it was the next step was you go to where the, uh, Zamboni would, after they'd resurface, you know, in in the winter time, there was one place where there was actually just snow, but otherwise you, you just you'd wait for the Zamboni to resurface and then they dump out all the shaved ice, uh, from the rink and bag it up. And you know, that's the dirtiest ice you can have, Right. but it's inside of a bag. So it's okay. Uh, and you, you bag that stuff up and you slap it on. But the ice ice machine at Cuga college, that was probably one of the best things ever. Don't get that. Don't let the secret out. I just (laughs) need some snow cone. Uh, and we'll be in business. 
<laughs> I know my daughter likes the ice there too. That's why. She likes the ice. She Everybody likes, likes the ice. <laughs> it's good ice. Usually the kids from the other colleges <laughs> wish they had that ice. We get a lot of comments about it. We do. <laughs> it's interesting. We get a lot of comments about a lot of things being, yeah, I wish ours was like this. I wish ours was this nice. Yeah, that's kind of been, that's been rewarding over the years. Yeah. You know, so it's good. Um, hmm. I don't want to take any chances of missing the opportunity to get you to tell the story. Oh, boy. Well, you have to tell us about your a little bit about Philadelphia. You've got so many Otho stories and otherwise. You got to share some of that. It's got to be something that's uh, shareable. Yeah, well, when you take a kid from Sterling, Kansas, population 2000-ish, and move them to South Philadelphia, and you live in the bowels of Veterans Stadium, which again is no longer, now it's Lincoln Financial, you know, where the vet was is now a parking lot. But when you have the opportunity to, at a very young age, to work in the National Football League and work for probably one of the guys that's considered one of the deans of our profession of athletic training, Otho Davis. Um, and you're living down in the vet and uh, your backyard is in the summer, the Phillies baseball field. So you go hang out in the, in the uh, dugout or when they're out on the road, you go around to the, to the bullpen and pick up baseballs. Cool. But uh, game nights, you could just walk out and find an empty seat and have, and watch a ball game. But it, uh, yeah, it's quite a, quite a change of scenery when you go from Sterling, Kansas to South Philadelphia and, uh, you know, we contended with a NFL player strike and had replacement players, and that was an experience. And with that, we had all the the union workers in South Philly, all the truckers and laborers picketing and not rioting, but it got pretty rugged outside the stadium and having to drive the van with replacement players through the line to take them to the doctor and such. And Jeez. it's just things that you never anticipate. You know, it's really no different to some degree than what athletic teams at that level are dealing with today. Sure. And having to adjust on the fly virtually every day. You know, we never knew in 87 when they had the player strike, we played three games, we lost all three and didn't make the playoffs by one game. But uh, we had, you know, one guy, I remember, specifically came from Wisconsin. And he showed up in the training room in a snap, like Western shirt with the sleeves cut off, his blue jeans and work boots, dirty. And he came in to get his physical. And he had been out bailing hay. And his mom had driven his pickup out into the field and said, hey, you just got signed by the Eagles. I have to drive you to Milwaukee to fly out. Wow. So he, she'd backed a bag for him. And he, he showed up like he'd just gotten off the tractor, which he had before he got to the airport. Cool. And those guys didn't know if they were going to be there one day or all season. So they they lived it up pretty much every night. So every day when they came in to get treatment and tape for practice, the stories would about make your hair stand on end. But uh, looking back, they were a lot of a lot of good guys just trying to – they got paid pretty well for three weeks. And uh, so and then it was back to 
regular stuff. Hmm. Did you ever, uh, were you ever there and they played against the Raiders? No. No. But we had a player we traded for from the Raiders who came in and he was, if you walked in the street, off the street today, you'd swear, oh, that guy must play for the Oakland Raiders. That's just how he looked. That's how he acted. It was actually a lot of fun to be around, but huh. um, I'll keep his name to myself, but he was, he was a character. <laughs> he had a pretty serious injury that was a fracture. And uh, when the emergency room doctor said we need to get an x-ray of that, he claimed that um, Helen Keller could tell it was broken. Why did he need a x-ray? <laughs> you know, but uh, it was it was a good time in hindsight at the time that three weeks was terribly long yeah but uh, that sounds crazy i um you you turned me on to that book you're okay it's just a bruise yeah so i was wondering if you ever came across those guys no the a former team physician for the oakland raiders wrote a book called you're okay it's only a bruise and it's pretty insightful to that era of the NFL. Any football fan should, should try to find that book and read it because I would not dispute a single thing in that book. Was any of it like that where you were? Yeah, some of it was, and it, it make it, you could never do that today. Wow. A lot of the things that happened 30 years ago in sports just doesn't happen today. No different than things that happened with in parenting and in schools 30 years ago doesn't happen today and probably can't happen today. We've kind of, uh, SNL did a, a skit one night. They had the new helmets that were sponsored by Volvo. And it was about this big. And they said, when you tackle the quarterback, you got to cradle the head and put the baby to bed or something like that. And things have changed. We can, we're a little bit less, uh, I don't know, we've put the gloves back on kind of. Yeah, a little bit. You know, when you look back at um, when you look back at the players that played across professional sports thirty years ago, you know, you didn't have all the specialty guys that you have now. Um, I don't know. It's just a different time, and I think it makes me wonder how many of the players today could have played and survived and been successful back in that era. Yeah, and a lot of people so, say the opposite. Yeah, for sure. You know, yep. it's just different. Well, the guys are bigger and stronger and faster now. Um, Reggie White was one of the biggest players we had, and he's not even close to being the biggest player, wouldn't be the biggest player height and weight-wise in the league today. So a lot of things have changed. I'm interested to see how – I'm interested to see the difference in how they age – you know, you, you see some of these guys that played in these physical sports back then. Yeah. And a lot of them are still pretty pretty good shape and pretty mm -hmm. athletic because, well, yeah, they're professional athletes. Obviously, they've got good genetics and good otherwise. Sure. Uh, but some of them have aged a little bit more roughly. And be interested to see how that changes as the rules changes. Kind of you get to see how that plays out down the road. Sure. I mean, there's so much more focus on things like concussions today that in hindsight, I look back at how some things were done 30 years ago and you would never do that today. So you wonder, you wonder 
with all the precautions being taken today, even though we we're not we can't prevent concussions, it's an inherent risk of the game of football in particular. But it will be interesting to see the longevity and you know the Alzheimer's and dementia that that some of the today's players and what their lives are like when they're 60, 70, and maybe older. Yeah. So. Well, we can only hope it's helping. Yeah, I, I just started reading an article in Sports Illustrated. I haven't near finished it yet, but they're looking back at uh, Division One College on the West Coast that uh, they had 12 linebackers in, in the class of 89, and five of those gentlemen have passed away under the age of 50, five out of 12. Mm. So they're starting to look at, you know, what what was done, what happened during those times. And, you know, I've not gotten deep enough into the article to find out if they had some underlying conditions and such, but, but it does make you take pause and, and hope professionally all the things you were doing 30 years ago. Um, were right. Right. Yeah. I mean, they you, were you, right at the time, but yeah. science, science advances. Jeez. And I know the way we dealt with concussions 20, 30 years ago is drastically different than how we deal with them today. It's progressed so quickly over the past six or seven years, too, that it's unbelievable. Sure. How the science has changed and evolved and um, makes you cringe a little bit. Well, it does. And I, there's a book out called The League of Denial. Um, and it's about the NFL's response to concussions. Back when Mike Webster of the Steelers was, after he had passed away, Dr. Amalu who did his autopsy was a coroner. Um, I think that's Allegheny County in Pittsburgh. And he since, since that time has gotten very involved in concussion research. And really the NFL kind of shut him out and disputed many of his findings. Mm -hmm. And if anybody, I mean, it's such an interesting read, but it's called the league of denial. And um, it did change my viewpoint of the NFL. I think I went that next season and I'm not sure if I watched a game. Mm -hmm. uh, it's disheartening to see what the response was at that time. So is that the basis? I haven't even watched the movie. I'm a little bit ashamed, but is that the basis of the movie uh, with Will Smith the concussion? Yeah. Dr. Amalu's experience with the NFL is the one that concussion is based on. And we got to meet him uh, yeah, a few years ago up in Rochester. It was kind of neat to have him come speak. Yeah. Real dynamic individual um, and uh, so intelligent and really is really the one that opened the, the gateway for and bringing concussions to the forefront, um, certainly in football. Cool. So, and then didn't you also steal a car once? What? <laughs> I'm learning about concussions, know. and now we're talking about car, oh, like stealing correct. cars. Steel. Sorry, I didn't mean to say steal. Didn't you hide a car once? Maybe, maybe I was involved. I don't know that I was. I was not the sole cons you, individual <laughs> responsible. Can you share any details of that, or is that is that? Uh, no, that that case sensitive. has been solved. No, that case has been solved. Um, if we can get Eric bomb to tune in from New Jersey, he, he would have some choice words. But, uh, <laughs> no, we, we pranked a guy and moved his car, and we drove by it every day for four days, and he filed a police report. And, <laughs> and so we finally, he just didn't, he was blind to the obvious. So, no, that just ha that happened in Philadelphia, but 
Philadelphia police were supportive of the prank and and didn't uh, didn't Otho call them? Yeah, he just let them know that listen, we've got a prank going on that now it's involves you guys. So if you're okay with it, can we just let it play out? And they were fine to <laughs> oh my god support go through and oh my god and, uh, and yeah, that was probably circa gosh mid eight mid eighties eighty six maybe that's hilarious and uh, I don't the think good, good times yet. <laughs> did you did Otho have to give them a pen for that one? Probably. Probably. He could get us anywhere. He got us a well, you remember some of these. Yeah. I was <laughs> they're good stories. Well, he took us on a we were going to Washington to play the Redskins. And we went earlier than the team. We drove down and he arranged for a tour of the White House, which was fine. But then he wanted to take us into the Supreme Court building. And the interns, the college interns that were given tours, got us going down the hallway. And he said, what's behind that door? And he said, well, sir, we can't go in there. And he goes, ah, come on. And he always carried this bag, this Philadelphia Eagles bag with Eagles logoed ballpoint pens. And for whatever reason, people really like those pens. <laughs> And if he gave you a pen, you just, it was something in that pen that was magic because you just said, okay, whatever he wanted, he would get. So he gave these college interns this pen and they opened the door. We went up this stairway and it's, we went and played basketball on the basketball court that's at the top of the Supreme Court building. And they titled it the highest court in the land. Cool. So we did a, uh, we did a staff photo up there. It was kind of neat. I still have that. But yeah, that, I don't know if that's, uh, Still there today, but it was certainly there 30 years ago. So that's awesome. Yeah. Fun memory. I forgot about that, but oh. Yeah. <laughs> I I'm remembering your stories more than you are. That's yeah. Good. All right. That, that's a compliment, I think. Well, as long as it's the right story. Right. Yeah. I'll keep some of them out of it. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> we won't do the repeater. Or the cat story or the boneless chicken story. I'll tell you what, that I've gotten a lot of mileage out of that cat story. Marianne, do you like cats? I do. Do well. I have a cat. Should I tell her the cat story? Yes. Yeah, you uh, probably should. And I have a cat too. <laughs> hey Kelly. My daughter got us got me a cat um before she went to college. Thought okay. I'd and I told her for about 18 years that I was allergic to cats <laughs> because I didn't want a cat, but I'm not allergic to cats. Oh, so okay. she brought Finn home and now Finn and I are fine. We're buddies. But, uh, and I'm telling this cat story now. I know that she's listening. <laughs> she just sent a message in about telling the cat story because she's cringing right now in Norman, Oklahoma. But um, I was working out in my garage one day soaking some parts off a motorcycle in some solvent and gasoline. I was out of solvent, so I had a Cool Whip dish full of gasoline. I was just cleaning some grease off. And this cat from the neighborhood walked in the garage and walked over and started sniffing the, the gasoline. So I shooted it out of the garage and it left. And I got busy and I kept working. And I looked back over and the cat's in there drinking gasoline. Oh, shit. And it just keeps lapping the gas up like it's milk. And 
I shoo it out of there and it runs out of our garage, swaying back and forth like it had too much gasoline to drink. And it went around a cherry tree way out in the front yard and just went, whoa, 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 <laughs> and just fell over. Oh, God. So that thing just, Marianne, that little cat just fell over. Wait, the cat died? Nope, just ran out of gas. <laughs> <laughs> So there you go. That's the cat story. That that's that wasn't your cat. It was a neighborhood cat, right? <laughs> it was just a story, not real. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> ran out of gas. I don't know. I was like, he's kind of weird <laughs> telling me this ending of the story. <laughs> so, oh, no. There you have it. There we go. Yeah. So that was make believe, Marine. That's not. Uh, thank you. You're fictional. Welcome. It's fictional. Fictional. I, I told that story to my cousin and he fell hook, line, and sinker. And he's like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I suppose it could happen. I don't know. I don't know I, if that's or not. I don't think they would either because I would think the smell would be too intense for them. But you know, some some animals and people are just dumb. They just don't know. But that's a different subject. Sure. Yeah, we don't <laughs> talk about that. There's no, on my head. I feel like I can't. Mike Pence. There fly? <laughs> yeah, there's a fly that's just been circling the studio today. I don't know, Jesse. You got to get this fly out of here. I don't know where the fly came from. I don't know where the fly came from either. That's weird. Probably, uh, I don't know. Outside, inside. Where where do flies come from? I think they come from the press box. <laughs> There's a real good possibility. Either that or they, that might be where they all go to. Wow. They're there at some point. Wow. That's where they go to die. Well, they hopefully. Hopefully. So. So what's new with the outlet trail? Oh, man. It's been, it's been a crazy year, but our, uh, our volunteers have been so good. We just, I just went out there and, um, They've they've had uh, Yates County Soil and Water came out and hydro-seeded where that building was demolished. Mm -hmm. It's like a $125,000 project that they did for, I think, less than 10. Wow. Wow. Definitely less than 15, but I think less than 10. And uh, we've got the parking lot in Dresden is going to be improved at no cost to us. Wow. And um, that's through another donation. We just had a tour out. We had about fifteen, uh, about fifteen uh, people that are members of the New York State Canal Society and of the American Canal Society. And it's kind of interesting. Uh, we we got to go places that I've never been before. We got to go to the mouth of the canal, and we came up to Penyan at the end to see where kind of the canal started. And we made a couple stops along the way. We got to see Lock Seventeen and show that to them and. I'll tell you what, you've never seen a group of people more excited to look at a stack of rocks that they, they were all fired up. And every time they'd see something that looked like it was made out of rocks from the locks, they'd get all excited. Um, when we went in for that first stop and we went to visit the mouth of it, that's actually on private property. It's in somebody's backyard and we arranged ahead of time to be able to go down there. And you never, I mean, imagine if you just had 20 people 
that were just so happy over the moon that you just let them come look at something in your yard for five minutes? I don't have anything in my yard that would make anybody that happy. I don't think. Just doesn't get any easier than that, though. You no, know, that's fantastic. So, I don't know a lot of good things we're working on. Uh, I'm hoping that we can someday be able to do things in person again. Hmm. Yeah, waiting for that day to come. It's uh, this has become a drag. It is a drag. I don't like the proverbial new normal. I don't even know what to say about it. It's gotten a little bit, a little bit out of hand. Yeah, for sure. Marianne, what's on? What's new with you? We've just been telling old stories. I know. I like. I like the old stories. I don't know. I just woke up from a nap. <laughs> I like to just go sit in Jeff's office and let him take get naps on something, and then I just sit there and laugh. Where's Jeff's office compared to your office? Because I know where your office is. It's pretty close by. It's right in the training room. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can't think of where. I just know where yours and and, um, Gina's office is, and that's it. Yeah, no, pretty close by. Around the corner. So I was thinking that Jeff and I ought to just start a, we should just someday go into business, just having people come ask us for advice. (laughs) <laughs> like what kind of advice? Not sure how that'd pan out for them. Just any kind of advice. Sure. I mean, if you want good advice, you have to pay at least double. Oh, okay. We'll you mean like, you- like you mean like if my finger hurts, you're going to fix it or no? Well, I mean, we already do that. Oh, okay. That is, I mean, that's kind of already what we do. <laughs> sort of. It's what we do. Yeah. It's a lot more than that. What kind of advice would you want to give out? Well, I don't he gives know. Gives advice just, all the time. Just think about yeah. Just think about it. People always come. I think we're two people that people come to when they got problems and they want to talk about them. Well, I'm Jeff. I'm I'm sure Jeff that um um Phil goes to you when he has problems. Like when he wants to talk about you. <laughs> about me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I, I don't have I'm not that damn Marianne. Yeah, Marianne doing her thing again. Don't know. It does make you wonder mm-hmm. in this day and age. We know we can't fix stupid. We've determined you can't do that. You can't fix it. But it does make you wonder, you know, so many times, virtually every day, you want to go, what were they thinking? Mm-hmm. What were you thinking? Maybe that should be a book. What were you thinking? What were, what were you, thinking? you thinking? What kind of chapters would you add there, Jeff? Oh, I don't know. Things that young adults do. Yeah. Just occasion. young adults? Or, I mean, I'm sure like all adults. All no, no. Uh, yeah. 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 Sure. Okay. I just, uh, I don't know. I think we have more experience with what young adults do. Yeah. And then when you read things in the paper, I still like to read the newspaper. Jesus, yeah. And you're like, what were you thinking? Why was that allowed to happen? And right now I don't have anything specific to relate to, but there are times you shake your head. It's like a bad car wreck that you can't look away from. You just keep reading, keep looking. 
It's another chapter. It's another chapter. Do you, have you started that book yet? That book? Yeah. With the list? No. Yeah, no. No. But, oh, can we talk about that other book? Which book? The cowboy book? Yeah, maybe. Because that... I have to get back with my illustrator. Yeah. We've, we've lost connection over the last few months. Doug, if you... you're watching, what's going on? You wrote a, wait, you, you wrote a book? Maybe. Okay. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. About a cowboy. Okay. Hmm. Is it fictional? It is. Okay. It's a children's book, actually. Oh, this will be great. So, yeah, we've talked to a couple publishers, and, and uh, we'll see what happens. Got a couple oh. cow real cowboys that want to be involved with it, so it could be cool. We'll let you know. All, All right, right. Well, please do. I'll make sure everybody knows. You can come <laughs> back on and promote your book. There you go. As soon as you get it published. All right. I'm fired up Deal. about it. I saw some of the some of the sketches. Yeah, Doug's he's doing a great job. I just things we've just we've just gotten busy, but uh, we'll get it finished. Newbie, newbie's one of our. Do you know Patrick Newbie? I do know Patrick. <laughs> How do you know Patrick? What Is it a good know? story? <laughs> no, I just I just know Patrick. I knew his brother. I know okay. his brother as well. Just from being local. Yeah, I see, think so. He's a pretty good guy. He's one of our. Uh, when you see the little one or two up in the corner, if they don't, if it's just a one, then you know it's newbie. Ah, okay. <laughs> All right. A lot of people watch this after, afterwards. Uh, they watch the recorded version or they listen to it on Spotify or nobody's uh, there. Podcasts, things like that. <laughs> What'd you so, say, Marianne? The camera was focused on the chair that nobody's in. <laughs> it was really weird. Sometimes it gets on autopilot and it starts <laughs> starts looking places where there aren't things. It happens. Gina I, I, actually oh. thinks it's hilarious. What? Gina thinks it's hilarious when it focuses on random spots. She'll <laughs> tell me about it. She's like, yeah, the one time uh, you were sitting with your legs crossed and it was just like focusing on your on your legs. And the other was time, it was, was it shaking? It was probably that's what it was going on there. No, for. It wasn't shaking. I know you Your leg like, shakes like all the time. Your leg's I, shaking probably now. It's not. Really? No. Yeah, I don't do that when I'm on the podcast. It's just other times. All the other times, you mean? Yeah, I don't know what Did, it have is. Have you ever realized that with Phil that he always um, shakes his leg? No, I guess I've not watched. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe you're just nope making that up in your head. Not at all. I don't know if that's real. It is. Hmm. So anything else new? Me? Yeah. Nope. Any questions for Jeff? Hmm. Oh. Not, no, I don't really have any questions as of right now. Or where are you guys going afterwards? Are you guys just going home, enjoying football or something? Or, or Jeff, you don't like to watch football now? I watch some. Um, I'm gonna go home and mow my yard. My neighbor's mowing his lawn right now too. I got to figure out how to work my lawn mower. It's probably a good day for it. 
I'm going to go get some uh, paper and a pen or pencil, and I'm going to go over to the Laurentide and do some brainstorming. It's a good place to do it. I would guess probably so. Yeah. I, I'd hope to have a little bit more time to get stuff ready for the podcast today, but um, with everything that happened this morning, being busy and having to push this back an hour, I, uh, I didn't even have a chance to go home and get any of my stuff. So, so here we are. It's a busy day. It's a busy day. Busy day. It's a good day. That's a good day. But uh, I don't know. All good. Beautiful day in the Finger Lakes. So, oh yeah, here's one. So Portia really liked it that day when she got to come to preseason. Mm-hmm. And that was a year ago. That was a year ago. Wow. Us. And when the glass broke. <laughs> Big deal. Like, oh, did you see the glass broke? Did you know the glass broke? That's a field hockey ball, wasn't it? Yeah, it just skipped up off the edge. You know, they got this concrete border around the turf, and it just hit that, and it skipped right up and went straight into that window. It's weird. But she was she had a good day. She got to have one of those popsicles and come down to lunch. And it brings back uh, another athletic trainer in your family. It does. Um, my kids have grown up kind of with me at work in the athletic training room. And I give that setting a lot of credit for them kind of being the way they are. But Kelly, I think she's still listening probably. She is out in Oklahoma. She's a graduate assistant athletic trainer at the University of Oklahoma. So she's having a good experience out there. But the day we drove out and moved her in was her first day, first time to visit Oklahoma. So she went inside unseen, but having a good run out there. Tyler is working in Pittsburgh, recently engaged. So they're good. What's he doing in Pittsburgh now? He's finished. Is he? He's finished with yep. school, right? Yes, he's a biomedical engineer. Works uh-huh. for a company down there in their cardiac division. Huh. So he's he likes it. Cool. He uh, spent a lot of time prior to that doing a lot of 3D printing and doing some prosthetics work. So this work into the cardiac world was a new new fork in the road, but he, he is enjoying the experience. The two of them have had really interesting things. They've had really interesting opportunities. And mm-hmm. it seems like they're... I don't know if they, I think they get this from you and Kristen, just this way of being able to talk to people. And it makes, I think it's opened up a lot of doors for them. Well, I, one, thanks for noticing that because I think they are though, I think the way they are in part to the time they spent at work with me and talking to 18 to 21 year olds, Mm -hmm. a lot of days, Mm -hmm. you know, after school or, even when they were younger than that. I remember when Tyler was two and just talking and you couldn't understand him. We had a soccer player from, I think, Nigeria, who you couldn't understand either at that time. But the two of them could sit at practice and understand each other. It was crazy. Oh, stop. Cool. Um, It was hilarious to watch. But, um, 
Yeah, you know, Kelly had a, a great two-year run with the Buffalo Bills there as an intern. And Tyler parlayed, you know, part of his education into spending time in Israel and Singapore. Um, both are very adventurous and not scared to take a different direction that's not the common road. Mm-hmm. And so while well, we probably had something to do with that, they were, they're, they're driven and they, uh, they've done well. They've made parenting at this point rel- relatively pain-free, not totally, but relatively. Mm-hmm. Do they come visit a lot, Jeff? Or maybe, maybe not yeah, before. I mean, yeah, probably, I don't know, more so before COVID. Mm. Um, Kelly can't come home. We can't go see her without quarantining for two weeks on either end. Right. So that's tough this time of year. And then uh, Tyler's working. So they were the, the fun thing we had with, you know, the COVID piece was they were both home a lot this summer. Mm. And so we enjoyed time with them. We never thought we'd have. And uh, so it was fun to have two young adults at home that had things kind of planned out and knew what, where they were headed. So we're, we're, we've, we've been blessed in that fashion. Um, but I think that comes with some hard work too, but it doesn't just happen, but you don't know what, what drives it all. But can you tell this, can you tell the story about the socks? Socks. What's up? Is that, is that going to be, I probably won't tell the sock story today. Oh, <laughs> So we'll, yeah, we'll hear yeah. it off camera. Because I might want to talk to my daughter later today. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Oh, it's a Kelly story. It's a Kelly story. It, it's a cute story, but I don't want to embarrass her. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so. Sorry that, to bring up inside stories. Nope. That's fine. No, you, you're aware though. So it, it is pretty funny though. It's funny. Do the kids know that their dad talks or has all these stories and, and, and you, do you bring them up in during class or is it just like side conversations that you have with Phil? Kind of both. I mean, I do think I've had some unique experiences that has allowed me to share with students um, that are pursuing, that have goals that they want to reach. Um, I've been able to do the things I've done because my parents were very supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, neither of my parents had the opportunity to go to college, but my dad was a successful businessman, and and my mom, she was a hero in her my own right. Uh, she she had a very severe stroke when I was fifteen, and had to relearn how to talk and write. She lost the use for right hand and right leg, and to see her come back from that, and um, never complain a day in her life. Mm. about why me or what if, you know, between the support they provided and the role models they were. And I think my kids have seen that too. And my wife has had similar demonstrations in her family. And, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm happy to share those stories if I think it helps somebody move forward for sure. I'm very interested about the socks now. We'll tell, we'll tell it after. Oh, okay. Or, yeah. or maybe. 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 If Kelly me- sends another message and says, yeah, dad, you can tell the sock story. I'll tell it. But Kelly, let him tell the sock story. It's funny. <laughs> so, 
Should I should have asked ahead of time about the Sox story? That's all right. No, it's good. No, I should have asked so that we oh. could have gotten permission. <laughs> <laughs> That's see. a good point. It's like all these stories that I wish we could just get uh, permission. Plan ahead. Okay, we're going to do this story and that story. But I like to see if he can come up with it the same on the on the spot too. Oh, she says go. She says you can say it. Oh, really? <laughs> so the sock story. So my wife and I, my, my wife, Kristen, is a huge football fan. She eats, sleeps, and breathes, bleeds blue and red if you talk about the Buffalo Bills. She loves the Buffalo Bills. She grew up in Buffalo, and um, she's a diehard. I'm a diehard Chiefs fan. Grew up a Chiefs fan, so I'm not a bandwagon Chiefs fan. Thank you very much. Um, I was a fan when they lost all the time. So now I'm a, probably the same fan today. So, and my son, Tyler, he's a big football fan. He's watching the Steelers Eagles game right now. But, um, when Kelly got the job at the Buffalo Bills, I told her, I said, well, when you're there, chances are they'll assign you to a group of players when you're at training camp and you'll be with that group you know, every day all of camp. So my group at Philadelphia was always the offensive linemen and tight ends. And I liked them because they were easy going and they're nice guys. And they were just, they weren't divas. They weren't like some of the position guys, like the running backs and the quarterbacks and the receivers. Um, so I was an O-line. I liked the O-line guys. Well, so I told Kelly, I said, they're going to probably assign you to a group. So that'll be kind of neat to see who you work with. She goes, well, I don't know what those groups are. She goes, I don't know the difference between the linebackers and the defensive ends and the defensive backs. And I don't, she goes, how am I supposed to know? Why can't they put them all in different colored socks? I'm like, what? She goes, well, if they would say, you know, the linemen, the offensive line are going to be in blue socks. The defensive line is going to be in yellow socks and the running backs are going to be in purple socks. They could just say, Kelly, go with, go be with the purple socks or be with the red socks. And I would know who I'm with. But if they say, go be with an offensive lineman, I'm not going to know who they're talking about. And this, my daughter got a job in the NFL. <laughs> I mean, never worked a football game at any level. She hadn't worked one in high school, didn't work one in college because her college didn't have football. And she had no idea who these groups were. And I thought our family was going to just come unglued. Oh, so, my God. One of the athletic trainers from the Bills came and spent a weekend with us in the summer a year ago before her last year with the team. And I went, we we're out at the windmill and I bought a package of multicolored socks and got them to him so they could prank her with those at work. Oh my God. So she just, you know, I can't believe she let me tell that story today. So <laughs> she, uh, she went in working at that level, having no idea what positions were, but she's become a quick study. Now she loves football and she knows quite a bit about football. And and uh, I would throw a shout out to the Bills because they provided an incredible experience. Uh, Coach McDermott and uh, the coaching staff, the players and the athletic training staff treated her very well. And uh, she has a lot of a lot of great memories from Buffalo. Kelly, thank you for allowing your dad to tell us that story because that's that's a pretty sweet story. She and she says, in my defense, I figured out all the groups my first day. There we go. Boom. Good job, Kelly. 
<laughs> and Kelly figured out how to handle those guys the first day too, didn't she? Yeah, she doesn't take much grief from anybody in the training room. She probably learned that maybe from you. Um, probably didn't learn it from me. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's all good. That's awesome. It's pretty sweet. Well, you should be proud of you know what you've done there. So it's fun to see it continue. Absolutely. Well, I guess maybe we ought to, Marianne, anything else? No, but I'm really glad again I get to see you, Jeff, because uh, Phil says such amazing things about you. He speaks very, very highly of you. Um, so I've heard more stories about you, and it's nice to now finally put the face to the name. Well, only believe part of it. Do you think we could <laughs> ever get Jason to come on here? Oh, I think that'd be great. It would be the, oh, my God. I had somebody else we could you should bring on. All right. Marianne, stick around afterwards. All right, we'll do. All right, guys. Thanks for uh, stopping by and watching. Uh, or if you're listening, make sure that you have gone over to our Facebook page and like it or you know, subscribe to us on YouTube. Um, share it with your friends. Let people know what we're doing and uh, let them check this out with you. Have a great day. See ya. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Marianne. Have a great day. Thank you, Jeff. Bye.